Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest edition of Airing It Out, Files from Leahy's Broadcast Booth. Thanks so much for being with us uh, as we have another edition of the podcast here. Uh, we've been uh, really having a lot of fun here on the podcast. Bernie Corbett, the voice of BU Hockey, was with us last week uh, prior to Merrimack's series with the BU Terriers. And what a an interesting series it turned out to be. Merrimack lost 8-6 to six at Aganis Arena on Saturday night. So we had some great talk with Bernie. And what we're going to try and do in the upcoming weeks is we're going to try to talk to uh, the broadcasters of the teams that uh, Merrimack is going to be playing on a weekly basis. And uh, this week, Merrimack is going to get set to take on the UMass Minutemen in a home-and-home series Friday night in North Andover and Saturday night out at the Mullen Center in Amherst. It is my distinct pleasure to bring in the longtime radio play-by-play voice of the UMass Minutemen, my good friend, Donnie Morehouse. And Donnie, I can't thank you enough for being here. We really appreciate it. It's going to be a great show. Well, John, thanks for asking. I'm honored and uh, a little bit flattered that you asked me to be part of this Uh you do so much in the broadcasting world, and you know it, it's great to to kind of you know be able to be a part of that with this uh, this podcast. Well, it's a pleasure having you here, Donnie. I got to get your opinion. Uh, what, what, did th- what did you think of the UMass theme song here? I try to make my guests seem right at home here. I hope uh, that was enjoyable. <laughs> I thought that was I thought that was great. Uh, uh, Jeff, definitely a, a, a nice touch to get things started here. Absolutely. Well, uh, Donnie, I'd, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about your background and your history, you know, in, in the industry and uh, some of the things you've worked on before we get to the Merrimack UMass weekend series. And uh, I'd like to start by talking about your history at UMass. You know, you have a long history there with the Minutemen. It started back in 2002. I know your daughter was a student there during your first run there, and your son also was involved uh, with the club, so to speak, but you had a lot of great memories uh, starting in '02. You called the triple overtime game against Maine. So, uh, let's start with your feelings about your long history uh, at UMass, and and you know, obviously, we'll talk about the national championship later. But uh, let let's talk about your history there and and how you got involved with it. Yeah, it's interesting. I was uh, working at WRNX. I was actually doing the afternoon show, so I had. Uh, my my broadcast career started as a, the host of a a drive time show um, on RNX, and the it was independently owned, which is you know th- those were really the good old days, the long lost good old days of independently owned radio stations. And uh, Tom Davis, the owner at the time, wanted to bid on UMass basketball, and uh, you know he was going up against some of the bigger. Uh, radio companies in the market and you know he and i talked and he said what can i kind of put in this thing to to you know maybe put us over the edge and i said broadcast hockey on the fm because ah. that, that point that had not been done there and he was he said well really i said yeah this is a hockey market you know the the springfield indians slash falcons thunderbirds have been around forever we had great tradition of high school hockey uh, Gary Deneen started the the uh, Springfield Picks out here. Uh, there was just a great hockey tradition, and I thought, you know, we could probably capitalize that. I'll be honest with you, I knew nothing about UMass hockey at the time. So um, he put it in the bid, and we ended up getting the bid. And and then he said, well, can you broadcast the games? Because, you know, we obviously we need to provide a broadcaster. Uh, and I'll never forget my first ever time calling a – UMass hockey game was the opening game of that season. They played Boston College. They lost six to nothing. Mm. Um, I was absolutely uh, horrible. And and Brock Hines, who has been my broadcast partner for this whole thing, uh, 
was very kind. You know, he did look over at me a couple of times and wonder what I was doing, but actually <laughs> I kind of, kind of figured it out. And you're right. It, it, it's been um, really a family affair. My daughter was a freshman at uh, UMass at that time. So it was great to be able to, you know, slide her $20 every home game. Cause she'd run up to the top of the broadcast booth to get some money. And, and uh, you've probably seen my three boys, uh, at various times hanging out in the the press box with us. Um, you know, Evan initially he's down at Brown university now as the director of hockey operations. So yeah. he, he really, really sort of um, took advantage of the opportunity to get to know all these coaches and players. And um, you know, he's really built a career out of it. It started just hanging out with Brock and I and watching the games, you know, and uh and Sean, the same way Sean's an assistant coach at uh, Westfield High School now. So he was a college baseball player, but really, you know, was a hockey player growing up. And again, came on the road with us quite a bit. And and my youngest, Ryan, is now playing junior hockey. And I'll tell you, the uh, I didn't realize how important UMass was to them until last year when we won the national championship. And you're sitting in the booth and the texts start coming in and the phone calls and uh, my wife and the three boys and my daughter were just so ecstatic and it was so impactful to them because they had emotionally invested in this program going back to 2002. So, so that's sort of the history and, and you're right. I, I, I have uh, been blessed with the opportunity to really call the, the significant games in UMass hockey history from the triple overtime uh, game against Maine in the hockey's final to the trip to the NCAA tournament. Um, and then two trips to the frozen four and uh, last year's ending in a national championship was, which was a lot of fun. Yeah. I want to talk about that experience and also your relationship with Brock. But first I, I guess I should bring up that triple overtime game against Maine. That was the hockey's title game at the garden. And we have a common thread, you and I, with that game because Mark Dennehy was the assistant at UMass. And of course, Mark went on to coach at Merrimack for 13 years. But uh, let me, let me ask you to, to take a trip back and, and kind of relive that game and, and talk about the memory of it and how thrilling it was to call a triple overtime game at the garden. Yeah, it was uh, it was fascinating. It really was to be able to do that. And, uh, you know, at that point, UMass had not won anything. Um, and it was uh, it was really an opportunity to kind of rewrite the history of the program to maybe win a hockey's championship and, and move on to the the NCAA regional. Um, and, it, you know, Thomas Polk. There's a, a great photo, and the, there was in the UMass practice rank of of uh, Jimmy Howard kind of sprawled on the ice and Thomas Polk lifting a backhander that just cleared the crossbar by an inch or so, which would have ended it in overtime. And, um, and I remember between periods, you know, as difficult as it is in terms of, of your stamina to call those games, you know, I get to step out in between periods, and, and Brock Hines and Adam Frenier would handle sort of the the intermission portion of that, which was a lot of work as well. But I'd go out into the hallway and Tom Karen, who was doing television at that point, would stand out there and we'd look at each other and go, what do you think? This is, 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 is the end near or not? And the interesting thing is after that game was over, we got in the elevator with Tom Karen and he was going to go right down to Providence because he was doing the women's hockey East championship game 
the next day. Wow. So wow. Uh, I went home and <laughs> went to bed, and he went back to work. So <laughs> Great stuff. And, and also, uh, you also had an experience, Donnie, where you had uh, you went over to Northern Ireland with UMass, and uh, you, you participated in the Friendship Four over there. Uh, Merrimack is one of two schools in hockey East that has not made the trip over, but I wonder if you could just uh, let us know uh, how that trip was and how exciting it was to be overseas with the culture and, and, and ha- calling games and under that experience. It was great. Uh, it was a, a once in a lifetime thing. And, and um, it's interesting because my son being at Brown University, I think they're going next year. So he's going to get the opportunity to go over to Belfast and experience that. Um, they were scheduled to go uh, last year, but obviously with with uh, the pandemic, they were unable to make the trip. But, you know, we we ate uh, Thanksgiving dinner with uh, the four teams in a in at Winterfell, which is the the castle that uh, Game of Thrones was filmed at. Wow! And uh, there were there were bonfires in the courtyard. Uh, it was it was really incredible. And Belfast is a great city. It's a city that I will go back to um, to spend more time, maybe even more than once, because it was uh, it was really a great experience overall. I got to bring my wife over there with me, um, and and you know, and they love hockey. So uh, the 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 folks that are in charge of that tournament have done a really good job and the fans come out to watch college hockey. So it was, it was a great experience. And I actually got interviewed on, um, on British television, which was a lot of fun too. I'd like to get a tape of that sometime to see how that went, but yeah, we really enjoyed ourselves. Yeah, I think the only thing they love almost as much as hockey is music over there. There's a lot of music and a lot of history uh, tied in with the Irish culture. So I'm sure you, you had a chance to experience some of that as well. There are, there are little uh, nooks and crannies, uh, alleyways all over the city, and each one of them has a, uh, a door with uh, entry into a pub with, with live music. So uh, it was fascinating. Oh, that's great stuff, Brock. Well, I, I want to talk about your, your broadcast partner, Brock Hines. Brock has been on the podcast twice. Uh, you know, he is – he has really accomplished everything there is to accomplish. You know, he's he's won the media award in Hockey East. He, he had a chance to uh, experience that uh, national championship last year with you. But and and he's just such a great, great guy, down to earth. Uh, I wondered if you, if you could just say a few words about Brock, uh, your relationship with him, and how it's uh, been working with him for all these years. Uh, do I have to? Do I have to say something <laughs> nice about him? You can say whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> he is a great friend and uh you know he and i've obviously spent countless uh hours in the car uh on planes and uh and and beside each other in the broadcast booth and and i still do this because i get to do it with brock you know um, especially after the national championship you you sort of sit back and go well you know what is there left to do and the truth is, you know, th- what's left to do is is spend more time with Brock and, and be able to call hockey games. Uh, he's great at what he does. He's very insightful. Um, he understands what it means to be a color analyst. And um, he continues to sort of, you know, surprise me with, with some of the things that he says and some of the color that he brings to the broadcast and, and and he and I have developed this real interesting style where um, we can talk about a hockey game while the game's going on and sort of uh, pick up the action as it's happening. And it's, it's very comfortable. 
I hope it's entertaining because it, it entertains the hell out of me to do it. <laughs> um, to almost call it as if it was a baseball game, you know? So we let the time and space kind of happen out there. And as you know, in hockey, when you're doing play by play, there's not a lot of time and space. So yep. I don't know that I could pull that off with somebody else, but with Brock, he knows where to step in. Um, I know when he's finished a thought and I step in after that, um, you know, we never really get concerned with the puck gets too close to the net. I mean, at this point, you know, when the puck's going in, I mean, I've been, uh, either playing, coaching or watching hockey since I was eight years old. So, uh, that's almost 50 years, you know, so you, you have a good idea of what's going to happen. And, and Brock is the same way. So, uh, it's really, it entertains me to do these games with him. And that's sort of why I continue to do it. And, and as I said, he's become such a close family friend. Um, my middle son, Sean is, is actually interested in the insurance business and he's working with Brock now. So, um, you know, it, it's been a, just really a tremendous opportunity for me. You don't make a lot of great friends late in life, you know, but, uh, Brock is certainly one of them and it's been, uh, He's just been a great asset for me and my family um, over the course of the last 20 years. Well, well said, Donnie. Great friend to all of us. And and I'd be remiss also if I didn't uh, mention Adam Frenier, who's the third a member of your broadcast team. Uh, Adam has uh, done a lot of great work with UMass, and I've listened to him, and, and he's outstanding. And uh, we'll get to see him this weekend as well. So maybe a few words about Adam, if you would. It's amazing that Adam can come, uh, you know, uh, over from the football field after doing that job and then jump into a hockey game and then go to women's basketball and come back and jump into a hockey game. And, and honestly, there, there have been uh, countless times over the course of the years where we wouldn't have gotten on the air without Adam. He is the ultimate utility guy um, in terms of not only setting up the operation, but then being part of the actual broadcast. Um, you know, from doing rinkside stuff to doing, he's done play by play and he does it very well and he's done color with me and, and he might be the only guy that can sort of slide in there. And uh, it's funny because Adam understands my personality, um, in terms of what I like, what I don't like. And, and I see him trying to, trying to manage that sometimes. And I almost wish he wouldn't, I just wish he would kind of enjoy the process, but He's such a, a, a huge, huge uh, asset for UMass on a lot of different fronts. And this is, uh, you know, I, I actually hired him to come and do uh, Starfires baseball, which is our summer collegiate baseball team. He does the, uh, the PA for that um, as well. So I get to see him in the summertime. So, yeah, another, another kind of great addition to our extended Morehouse family um, is Adam Frenier and, and, and brings so much to the program. Well, Donnie, let's go back to the title game in Pittsburgh last year. UMass was uh, matched up with St. Cloud State. Uh, I wonder if there's – I know I asked this of Brock, but I'd like to ask you as the play-by-play guy, I'd like to ask you to go back and, and kind of describe the emotions of the experience, particularly those final moments. What went through your mind when you realized, hey, this is really going to happen? I'm, I'm sure it, was, it wasn't late in the game that you figured that this was going to happen because UMass controlled the game from, from pillar to post. They won 5 nothing, But – what was that like, the emotions of the experience and just uh, your, the final moments? What went through your mind when uh, UMass was on the verge of winning it? Well, it's interesting because I like to say that I represent the University of Massachusetts without passion or prejudice. But in reality, 
Uh, as I said earlier, this, my family's invested so much emotionally into the program and, and the time that you put in. Um, and then you, you, you know, I, I really thought, I, I thought a lot about Red Gendron, you know, who had passed that weekend. Yep. Um, and that was a bit overwhelming for both Brock and I, um, uh, because he was, you know, not only, uh, the, the kind of the, the, the coach that we worked under, he was an assistant with Toot, but he became a friend and all those guys did. I mean, I, you know, Toot will reach out to me. Uh, <laughs> I get a text every Christmas day from Toot Cahoon, which is great. And I talk to, I try and talk to Mark Dennehy regularly. Um, he's always been very interested in what the boys are doing. Um, and even Len Cannell, you know, uh, I have a great story about Len Cannell at the draft when he was working with Detroit and they drafted Keith Petrozelli, um, who was a local kid, goalie who played for Quinnipiac. And, and I, uh, I texted Len and he texted me back from the draft table, which was, you know, had the, we were all sitting around the living room and had the boys laughing that I was able to get Len Cannell to text me from the, the draft, the war room at the draft that year. But I really thought a lot about all of that, the, the, the hard struggles that the program has gone through and uh, the players that, you know, um, Matt Anderson and David Leader and the Warners and, and, you know, all those players that we really kind of became close with in the early years and what this must, must mean to them. And then, as I said, when, you know, my wife called me and I was like, wow, this is, this is this is a big deal um, to everybody who's kind of put the time in, you know, and and you kind of felt the weight of that. You're right. That game was over as so many of the games over the last two years. You know, I'd walk into the building and watch warm ups and I'd say to Brock, you know, this is over. You know, the, the, the that team was so dominant and it was the style that which they played that you kind of knew they were going to win. It was very rare where you'd be, you know, involved in the game and say, well, you know, this is going to be a struggle because a lot of them weren't a lot of those games. They just plowed their way through. And if from the overtime against Duluth in the semifinal where uh, Duluth was just throwing the puck out of the zone um, in hopes of maybe getting a stretch pass and, and a breakaway. Uh, that was really their only answer to the relentless UMass forecheck. And you knew it was just a matter of time before they'd score that overtime winner. And then the, the St. Cloud game again was just uh, as the game, you know, it, it was over when it started because you could see the confidence and the drive and the, that grinding style really kind of taking over right from the outset. But yeah, I guess it was, you know, when it was over and you sat there, it was overwhelming to think about all that had that uh, had gone into it um, and then and to kind of sort of be at the top of the mountain there. Yeah, you know, I asked, I think I asked Mike Logan that question after Providence won uh, back a few years ago. And, you know, I just wonder as a broadcaster who's in my own uh, personal experience, I've never called a championship of any kind, but uh, I've never won a championship as a broadcaster. But you just kind of wonder if, you know, you have flashbacks, you know, back to the old days when, when you realize you're about to win. And, uh, you know, I was, that's why I was curious to ask you about it, if there were any flashbacks while it was happening oh absolutely and again we you know we had red gendron on our mind and 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 uh you know i was really uh part of the two cahoon era that's when i started and 
you know, I really worked with, you know, through 2009. And we were, uh, you know, as broadcasters, we were really involved in the program, really in promoting it. And, you know, and I've said this to Brock, uh, I don't think there's anybody that has promoted and, and really been kind of a foghorn for UMass hockey the way he has. Uh, right. You know, he has really kind of uh, been the one that's been, you know, pounding on the desk. Hey, we're here. We're good. And we're, you know, we're going to get better. And he's been doing that since 1993. So right. uh, I think, I think that was, you know, certainly to Cahoon recognized the value of that. And, um, and we were utilized in a lot of different ways. I mean, on, on the road, we had the rent a car. So we would, you know, I remember taking a player to uh, the hospital to get checked up after getting hit in the head when we were out in Denver one year, because we had the car. So it was like, Hey, right. you know, um, you guys are in charge. So uh, yeah, I thought a lot during that, that championship game about uh, the people that sort of, you know, we cross paths with paths with, uh, over the course of my time there. Yeah, and I couldn't help also thinking about Jillian Jacuba, who, uh, of course, does the she's the contact for men's hockey. And I remember taking a look at her posts on, show, on social media after it was all said, and then I could just see the joy that she experienced, and that, that really made me feel good. Yeah, it's hard, you know, when you're not winning. Um, it's very hard, and there were there were several years there where, you know, five wins was sort of the benchmark. And, um, you know, that becomes very difficult to sort of deal with, you know, and Jillian was there through that whole thing. So again, when you look at the people that have been there the longest, uh, to see them rewarded with, uh, a national championship, you know, it, it, it just, it feels right. Donnie, you know, you've not only have do you have a distinguished career at UMass, but uh, when it comes to hockey in Western Massachusetts, you know, you've been involved with a lot of things. You were you called games for AIC as well, and you had a program called Hockey Night in Springfield, where you covered not only UMass but AIC and the Springfield Falcons and high school hockey. So uh, maybe you could touch on your experience with those other uh, programs that uh, you worked with uh, out in Western Mass. Yeah, so, uh, you know, from, I think it was in 2009 where uh, the the radio deal for UMass Hockey went uh, across the street to another radio station, and, and they uh, brought in John Hennessy, who did a great job. Um, and, and, again, he was one of those guys that was there for, you know, the lean years and had a chance uh, a few times. Uh, John has come up to games at uh, Providence, so we've had a chance to hang out with him a little bit. Um, but in that interim, you know, I knew I was, I mean, I was still heavily involved in hockey with my boys playing. I mean, uh, Evan was playing, um, for the Springfield picks at that time. Uh, I had gone over and worked with the Falcons, the AHL team for a couple of years. Uh, I did do AIC hockey. That's where, you know, that's my alma mater. I played there and then coached for three years after graduating, um, so I went back and did and did those games, uh, which was a lot of fun. Get, getting to you know sort of reconnect with my school and Gary Wright, who's been a, a great mentor, um, you know since since college hockey and then as a coach and 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 even you know he he's another one who texted me the night of the championship game when when UMass won the national championship. One of the first texts I got was from Gary Wright, which was a lot of fun. Um, 
so I did that. Uh, I did Hockey Night in Springfield. I was, you know, working at WEEI and, and kind of sold them on the idea of, hey, we've got UMass, AIC, two Division One teams. We've got, uh, at that time, Cathedral High School, which was one of the really premier teams in the high school teams in the state. Um, you've got the pro team. Uh, I really thought that there was enough of an audience to maybe do a, really kind of an extended pregame show. We'd go on Friday at uh, 6.15 or so, and we'd go right up until 7 o'clock when these games were starting. That was a lot of fun. I also started a, uh, a nonprofit called The Hockey Project. Right. We brought inner city kids out on the ice and, and taught them, uh, hopefully, life skills through the game of hockey, and that was a lot of fun. The whole family was involved in that. Um, we had uh, that sort of culminated in a trip to we got Jeremy Jacobs gave us tickets to the Winter Classic at Fenway Park when uh, the Bruins played Philadelphia. So we were able to take the group out to see that. And then we played a tournament down at Wesleyan University and uh, ice hockey in Harlem was one of the groups that was there. We had a group from Boston and one from um, Philadelphia as well. So. Uh, so, yeah, I, I kind of kept busy, kept involved in the game. Um, and, you know, at, in the same time, watching my my youngest boys play high school hockey. And Evan, at that point, um, had moved um, to play junior hockey with the picks. And uh, so, again, tried to stay involved as much as I could. And, and I got the call, you know, in 2015 from UMass. And they said, hey, it was uh, the weekend before the season started. They were starting out in Colorado, <laughs> playing Col a weekend series at Colorado College. And I got a call and said, hey, do you want to you know, jump in and do it again? So, um, you know, I said, sure, why not? Yeah, great stuff, Donnie. And I know you did some work with the Springfield Falcons as well, uh, doing business development. Is that, uh, is that correct? And, and if so, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about that experience. So that was great. So, you know, uh, I think the first hockey game I ever saw was at the Springfield Civic Center back then. They were the Springfield Kings and uh, Bruce Landon was the goaltender. And so he was uh, he was kind of a hero of mine. And, and, you know, we had talked just about hockey in Springfield. I would see him downtown and, you know, shared some of my ideas with him. And he said, why don't you come over and you know, work in corporate sponsorship and, and kind of get involved in the team. And he was in the midst of selling uh, or the group that owned it was in the midst of selling it. But I said, sure. And I came and I did uh, two years there. And it's interesting because I'll, I'll go back to, you know, I got a phone call. We had a, a Saturday night game and, and Evan was up in New Hampshire playing in the playoffs in the um, I think it was the, e, the still the EJ. I, I forget which junior league. There's so many of them that he was playing in. And uh, I said, you know, Ev, I'll be up to see you tomorrow in the second game of the series. And he said, well, I, I got kicked out for a, 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 got a spearing penalty. So I ended up missing his last game. What I thought was going to be his last game as a, uh, as a hockey player, as a goalie. And that was very disappointing. So I said, you know what, I got two more coming through. I'm not going to miss any of their games. And when you work in minor league hockey, you're doing 70-hour weeks and you're, you know, you're pretty tied up on the weekends. So um, after, after that, I said, all right, I'm going to kind of call it a day. And uh, it's interesting because Evan, who was a, another college baseball player, his senior year, he ended up playing both hockey and baseball at Westfield State. So I did get to see him actually play in his final game because he got one game 
uh, with the, the Westfield State Owls. So, Great stuff. We're talking with Donnie Morehouse, longtime radio play-by-play voice of UMass men's hockey. Uh, before we get to this weekend, uh, Donnie, just a couple of things. I noticed that you're a music writer for The Republican. Uh, what types of uh, work do you do as far as uh, writing for uh, The Republican in terms of uh, writing about music? What's that all about? Well, uh, I'm actually a retired music writer, so uh, oh, okay. I turned in my pen uh, last January after 28 years of covering concerts and writing an entertainment column, and uh, I covered everything, every form of music you could possibly imagine. Um, and uh, it was it was great in terms of being able to go out and see live music, which was really the fascinating part of that job for me. Um, you know, I've been to every, every possible band act, um, that you can think of. I've seen them live. And, uh, when the pandemic hit and and that sort of ended, I was still doing a lot of writing, but I wasn't seeing live music. And that was really kind of what, uh, inspired me, kind of what drove, really what drove me was, was the live music. And without any of that, I just figured, you know what, now's a good time to sort of sign off. But yeah, 28 years of, of covering concerts, you know, from uh, Boston down to Mohegan Sun and, you know, all the way down to New Jersey and uh, out in Pennsylvania, some shows out there. But uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, and, and like I said, I've, I've literally seen everybody that you could possibly imagine. Uh, in many cases, I've seen them more than once. Yeah, I think I've seen the Dave Matthews Band 17 or 18 times. Uh, <laughs> I got to ask you, Donnie. Now, this this is really cool. I I noticed that you've acted actually in five films, including a horror movie, and you wrote a script for a film called Cathedral Pines. This is really cool stuff, and I'd love you. I'd love for you to just give us the background of that and how you got involved and how fun it was. Where are you getting this stuff? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I've done I've done some acting. Um, I was in. Uh, I, it started actually in commercials. I was a, a spokesperson for Cambridge Credit Counseling and did their uh, national television commercials and uh, radio commercials. And then uh, kind of got involved with people that were in the local film industry and got asked to do small parts in a series of different movies. And then, uh, I don't know if you remember, but HBO had a show called Project Greenlight. Okay. And, uh, and they would basically take... Uh, submissions of scripts and they would go through them there was a process where they vetted these scripts and they uh i think they they would narrow it down to three and then that's where the 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 show project green light started they would pick one of the three to make a movie and it was a reality series and whatnot so someone said to me hey you should write a script for this so i did i wrote a script i sent it in um and uh, it went got through the first two rounds of voting. Uh, there was actually, at that point, it, it didn't get through to the, the show itself, but there was a production company that optioned the script for six months and said they were going to make it into a movie. Um, and then I got kind of frustrated and said, you know what, let's just make it ourselves. And so we put together a team out here in Western Mass. Uh, we made the film. Um, you know, I was on the radio at the time, so I was able to kind of generate some excitement for it. We did a casting call that had a few hundred people show up. Um, we did the premiere at the Calvin Theater in Northampton. 
sold that out. Um, I think the movie's actually available on Amazon Prime if you wanted to rent it. Uh, it was, a, you know, it's interesting you bring that up because one of the stars of, of the movie was Peter Scolari, who passed away over the weekend. Oh, right, yeah. Um, and uh, we had a, we had this, you know, this sit down. Um, it, it, you know, we rented some space and we had a conference room and we we had about 15 people there and we said, listen, we've got to get some names in this movie if we want to, you know, if we want to kind of get it to where it needs to be. So we're going to go around the table and, and who's the most famous person you know? And it was incredible how many famous people we knew out of that that one simple exercise. We got Peter Scolari, who was famous for Bosom Buddies and um, and a, just a tremendous Broadway actor and really renowned for his work on Broadway. And he was in Girls on HBO. But uh, one of our producers, um, his stepdaughter was related to Peter Scolari. So we were able to reach out and ask him if he would come and do a, a low budget film when he was you know, in the area. We had Colin Mockery from Whose Line Is It Anyway? We got Peter Tork from the Monkees. Oh, that's cool he stuff right there. Had to play a, a part in it. Um, Pat Hazel, who was a writer for Seinfeld. Um, Robert Dubach, who was a uh, longtime soap opera actor. Um, Mara Bonde, who is a, uh, sop- a soprano. She is a um, a uh, an opera star. And and actually, John Fiore from The Sopranos, the HBO show, was also in it. So we were able to piece together. I think every six or seven minutes in the film which is really a low budget kind of local project but every six or seven minutes someone will pop on the screen you'll go hey wait a minute i know that person so it was an interesting project it was a lot of fun um it's one of those things where people said oh when are you going to do another one i did one and uh that's really all i needed to do so again it was it was a lot of fun to do and um you know just uh i guess something to put not necessarily on a resume because I don't plan on doing it again, but um, you know, it did open a lot of other doors. I got to, got to meet uh, Kevin Costner. He somehow we we got someone to get the movie in his hands, and he ended up calling me and inviting me down to Mohegan Sun, where he was uh, he was going to appear down there as part of their 10th anniversary celebration. And I got to go to dinner with him and his wife and his daughter, and and kind of hang out. So. Uh, a lot of cool things happened uh, from that, but, uh, but yeah. Yeah, we'll have to call Vin Scully and see if we can arrange to have a, a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame for you. Yeah. I mean, right? <laughs> <laughs> you can get you, you can get all you have to do is buy that. Oh, is I, that right? Uh, yeah, I looked it up. You can actually buy one. You ha- you do have to have some credentials for it, but uh, you have some credentials and you write them a check and they'll give you one. Wow, cool. Uh, last non-hockey thing I just want to ask you about is uh, you also wrote some lyrics for a band called Breakdown. Is that uh, correct? Well, I did. I was a roadie. That's really how my uh, career in entertainment started. I was an, a roadie in a local band that um, they uh, they did really well. They won the MTV Basement Tapes and uh, went on to sign a record deal, and that kind of fell through. And uh, Actually, Frank Manzi, who is one of the members of the band, he and I were great friends, and and I wrote a lot of uh, lyrics for him that he used in the band. But um, since then, since the band broke up, and that was 1990, I believe, he and I have collaborated quite a bit on uh, hundreds of songs and uh, dozens of albums. We put one out uh, 
last year called the Beko Sessions. We went to New York City and uh, we were in Times Square. We had rented a studio. Uh, it was right on top of Beko, which is a, a pretty famous restaurant in Restaurant Row. It was on the third floor and we stayed there for a week and and uh, 24-7 just wrote and, and kind of uh, arranged these songs. And uh, he actually has another um, another album that's coming out Thanksgiving, which has got four or five songs that he and I wrote together. So uh, that's kind of been a labor of love, again, going back 30 years now that we've done that. Well, I told Bernie Corbett last week, uh, my my ultimate goal in life, if I'm not involved with hockey, is to be the ukulele player in the Jimmy Buffett band. Well, there so, you go. <laughs> yeah, that's something that uh, I, I'm striving for. So uh, I think that the... Uh, I think that the vetting process is going to take a while on that, but uh, but we'll see. Uh, Donnie, let's uh, before we finish up, let's talk a little bit about. Uh, let's get back to hockey. Let's get back to this weekend as uh, UMass and Merrimack will be dropping the puck Friday night in North Andover, and Saturday back in Amherst. Let's talk about UMass's uh, season so far. They had the two losses to Minnesota State. Uh, they had the banner raising on the Friday. Uh, excuse me, on the Saturday it was Saturday Sunday. They lost uh, both games, and then uh, a nice bounce back weekend against AIC. So uh, what have you, first of all, what have you seen from the Minutemen so far? Well, it, it's interesting because it, I've seen kind of a lot of the same, you know, that uh, they're going to generate offense uh, down low in the corners and off the wall. Um, you know, there's no sort of freewheeling through center ice, uh, odd man rush kind of stuff. They, they really generate their offense um, from the four check in the grind. They, they, again, have these really elite defenders that can also put the puck in the net. Uh, I guess in the Scott Morrow is probably the next version of the the Zach Jones type player where, uh, you know, he's a defenseman who's highly skilled. We've already seen him do some things where just kind of opens your eyes a little bit. Um, you know, the, the, the games against Minnesota state, I want to say were a, a blip on the radar. Um, I don't okay. think that's what is going to be typical of UMass. Um, you know, they, uh, the banner raising, it is what it is. They gave up a goal in the first shift of that. After that banner went up, everybody was just sort of, you know, basking in that glory. Um, I thought they put it behind them on the Sunday game. They came out, they were really strong. They had a three, nothing lead at one point, three, one lead. And then they gave up five consecutive goals, which, uh, I don't ever recall seeing that. Yeah, I don't. I don't think you're going to see that happen for the rest of the year. Uh, you want to talk about a blip on the radar screen? That's yeah. it. Yeah. So that was, you know, that weekend. It's one of those things where, okay, it happened. Let's move on. Against AIC, they were really good uh, the first night. You know, they scored early and often. Um, and, and I think the, the, you know, the jackets were never really in that game. The second night was a very, very close game. UMass outshot AIC dramatically, but in terms of scoring chances, I'd have to look at those because, uh, a lot of those shots were from outside tough angles. Um, you know, I didn't feel like the AIC goaltender was, was working overtime to keep them in that game, despite the, the lopsided shots on net, but the Minutemen came out with the win or the, yeah, the Minutemen came out with the win um, and seemingly back on track. And I was not at the, um, the exhibition game they had against Dartmouth, which uh, on paper, they lost three to two. 
Um, that's a little bit surprising. Did not, again, was not there, so I didn't see how that happened or what took place. But um, it's interesting because they come into a weekend with, you know, against Merrimack, and Merrimack always seems to find a way to beat UMass once a year. Um, if you go back, uh, especially up there at that rink, they play the Minutemen very well up there. So I, I think I think we're in for a good week in a hockey. Yeah, you know, it always fascinates me when these two teams get together, Donnie, because when you look at the disparity of the two rinks, Merrimack being obviously a much smaller rink with smaller corners and, of course, the cavernous rink at Mullins, you wonder how each team is going to react and respond to those uh, situations and circumstances. And last year was a perfect example. Merrimack was one of the few teams that beat UMass when they played in North Andover. And, uh, of course, the Minutemen being as strong as they are at home, they picked up the win there. So it's going to be interesting to see how that dynamic plays out again this weekend. Yeah, and, it you know, it uh, it often will come down to good goaltending in college hockey, as you know. The uh, A lot of times you can go in and, and, and just see who the two goaltenders are and pick your winner because uh, a good goalie can take you a long way. And this is going to – this is an interesting – challenge for Matt Murray, who is the definitive number one for the first time in his career as a fifth year senior here. You know, he played quite a bit last year, played very well. Philip Lindbergh, you know, at the end of the day was the number one goaltender who won the national championship, but they wouldn't get there without Matt Murray in that overtime game in the semifinal. So, uh, but he did not have a good weekend against um, Minnesota state. Uh, it, it it just as simple as that. He did not play well, played much better against AIC and he was sneaky good against AIC. I thought they had some scoring chances, which, you know, um, more than likely would have resulted in goals if he did not play as solid as he did. So it's an opportunity for him to, to kind of really, you know, establish himself and really give the the players out in front of him the confidence that, Hey, if you make a mistake, I'm here to cover for you. So it'll be a big weekend for him, for sure. Um, this is a young team. There's a lot of new, it, 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 it's amazing. You know, Coach Carvel's been here for five years, six years now, and he still has a young team. Um, and so it'll be, I, I, think, I think this weekend will really say a lot about where this team is heading because, you know, they always have a tough battle with Merrimack. And, you know, Merrimack could put up six goals on BU, as you said, so... You know, they've got uh, – I just think it's going to be a really interesting week in hockey. Yeah, absolutely. And and my last point here is that uh, you mentioned Greg Carville. You know, he had a vision when he came here from St. Lawrence. He had a plan. He, he had a long-term vision. And, uh, boy, he, I tell you, they realized that vision last year in the best way possible, winning a national championship. So uh, that really says a lot about uh, Greg's abilities, doesn't it? Well, uh, he's as good of a coach as, as, as I've ever been around in terms of watching what he does, how he manages the bench, how he manages players. Um, you know, they talk about culture, which is, is such an overused word. Uh, I like to look at it as structure and accountability. And if you have those two things, you're going to be successful. There is a structure to this UMass hockey program from the way they conduct themselves uh, in the classroom, off the ice, certainly in practice, and then when you get to the game. There is a structure to their game plan. And if you don't adhere to that structure, you're not going to be in the lineup. It's as simple as that. And you can go back to two years ago, John Leonard, 
who at that point was the leading scorer on the team and one of the leading scorers in hockey East. And you get towards the end of the season and he's not following that structure. Well, guess what, John, you're going to sit for a game. Um, and he did, and he came back and I think he had 10 goals in the next, you know, 10 or 12 games. So there's structure and accountability and those two things together really create an atmosphere for winning. And like I said, you know, and Brock will tell you this as well, just being around Carvel and watching the way he manages this process, he's as good of a coach uh, as I've seen in the college game. Well, Donnie, it's going to be a lot of fun uh, this weekend. Uh, Friday, the teams get together at Lawler Rink in North Andover, and then the return bout on uh, Saturday in Amherst. I'm looking forward to seeing you at Lawler. I'll be out there Saturday as a fan. Uh, we're not uh, we're not doing road games for, on the radio for Merrimack this year, but I'm looking forward to coming out there on Saturday. Donnie, it's been wonderful having you here. Uh, you know, I've been wanting to have you on the podcast for quite a while, and uh, glad we had the chance to talk uh, coming up on this uh, big weekend of hockey as UMass starts their hockey schedule. Uh, thanks again, Donnie, for coming on. It, it's wonderful having you, and we're looking forward to seeing you Friday night. Thank you. This was a lot of fun. I hope you uh, have me back again. And congratulations on this and, and all the stuff that you do to help promote college hockey. Donnie, thanks so much. We truly appreciate it. Uh, you've been listening to Airing It Out, files from Leahy's broadcast booth. Next week, we'll re- we, we will welcome in John Risch, the radio voice of the Boston College Eagles, as BC will be on the calendar, calendar next. So for my special guest, Donnie Morehouse, I'm John Leahy saying so long until next week. Mitochondrial disease is a rare multi-symptom disease characterized by breakdowns in the mitochondria, which are specialized compartments that are present in every cell of the body except red blood cells and are responsible for creating more than 90% of the energy needed by the body to sustain life and support growth. A disease most commonly associated with children, currently there is no cure, just management of symptoms. Hugs for Mito Inc. is mitochondrial disease, Rare disease advocacy, awareness, fundraising for research trials, and hopefully a cure. To learn more, please visit hugsformito.org.